We're glad you're here to join us at Waterstone. Throughout 2020, we have been reading through the Bible, and it has culminated to this moment where we open up the New Testament and see how God enters history in a personal way. It makes it unmistakably clear that He is with us, He is relentlessly on our side, and doing everything possible to rescue us. It's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we learn how to live and be people who love sacrificially, seek justice, and extend God's mercy. We're excited to dive into this series together and would enjoy it even more if you were able to attend one of our services in person. We invite you to go to waterstonechurch.org to RSVP for a weekend service time on Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Today our text invites us to a baptism. Now, as important as baptism is, I, I don't think I need to give you any special instructions about how to behave at a baptism because usually special occasions modify people's behavior appropriately. For instance, at a funeral, I don't need to give you any special instructions about how to behave. Before the service, you're talking with people, just sharing the grain of life. How are you holding up during COVID? Uh, yeah, I really wrestled with coming today, but I felt I needed to be here for the family. Uh, how are you uh, getting, are you getting outside at all during this time? And said, well, it's been hard with the, the heat and the smoke. Uh, it's been hard these last few weeks. Well, how's your daughter? She had her baby yet? Not yet, but we are sure excited for our first grandchild. Boy or girl? Well, they wanted to be surprised, so we'll all be surprised. How about your son? Is he married yet? Not even close that we know of. And then into the room walks the widow. And everyone stands. And immediately in your heart, you go to her, knowing that from here on, she goes forward without the anchor of her life. And you think of the, those children who now overnight have to grow up even more to help their mom through this time while their own sky, the light shifts without their dad in it anymore. And you lament, you pray. You see, you don't need instructions. The occasion modifies your behavior. The same's true at a wedding. Before it starts, people are talking and laughing, but they're really wondering what the food's going to be at the reception. And then in comes the bride, and you stand in the brightness of that moment, and the service builds till that like crazy time when two human beings say the wildest thing to each other in sickness and in health to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. And you begin to think to yourself, I am so grateful for the thousands of decisions made over the years to love the other first, to give myself sacrificially because it's created such a place of comfort and trust and joy. Except again for that time yesterday when I, reminded, I was reminded that I, I'm still a natural born narcissist and I pushed my own selfishness into our agenda, and I need to talk to you before the reception, so 
we can figure that out. You see, you, you don't need instructions. The occasion modifies your behavior. Or like children, right, when Great Gammy comes over, Great Gammy, who's ancient, has lived so much life, suffered so well. The children are outside playing hard. They come running in, and all of a sudden they see Great Grammy, and they get quiet. They hold her in awe, and they run up and hug her leg without pushing, and they smell that Great Gammy smell, knowing so young that one day they'll miss that smell. You don't need to pull the children aside and say, this is how you are to behave around great Gammy. They hold her in awe, and the occasion modifies their behavior. So we go to a baptism now. Do I need to give you special instructions about how to behave at a baptism? It's the baptism of Jesus of Nazareth. Let's go. A reading from Matthew, chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Did you see the two surprises? The first one was named John the Baptist. The end of the Old Testament ends with the words that someone in the spirit of Elijah would come and turn the hearts of children to their parents and turn the hearts of God's people to their father. The spirit of John the Baptist. What's that mean? That means someone that dresses like Elijah. Oh, Brooks Brothers clothing, right? Elijah lived by a brook. John the Baptist, a camel hide and a leather belt. And a Brooks Brothers diet. Whatever you can find to eat, essentially in the wilderness, locusts and wild honey. 
And then did you listen to what he was saying? He preached like Elijah. He said, you brood of vipers, except Elijah talking to kings. John the Baptist is now talking to his pastors. And did you hear what he said? The ax is at the root of the tree. It's not being sharpened. It's not being ground cleared. It's at the root. It's now. And John the Baptist said, it's like a winnowing fork, which would throw the grain up in the air and the grain would fall and do what it's supposed to do. But the chaff would be blown away by the wind. It's judgment time. It's sorting You have to make up your mind about this one who's coming, Jesus, the Messiah. Wild man, John the Baptist. You know that in Acts 19, 30 years after he was beheaded, the church was still running into disciples of John the Baptist. Influence. I think we're drawn to the wild man. I do. I, I think we're all looking for an adventure, a beauty to rescue, a, a battle to fight. You know, William Wallace in Braveheart, every man will die, but not every man will truly live. Freedom! I think it's weird that women, moms, want their daughters to grow up and marry Mr. Rogers while they go through the checkout line at King Supers and see in People Magazine Russell Crowe and kind of pine after him a little bit. I think we're drawn to the wild. Why? Because a wild person sees, and thus they are consumed, and thus they are dangerous. Now, what makes a person wild? I suggest it's a three-letter word in the English language, the most powerful three-letter word. It's in a moment in history, Luke 1.44, when Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus, goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. And look what happens. As This is Elizabeth talking. She's holding John the Baptist in her womb. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby John the Baptist in my womb leaped for joy. Joy. What's joy? Joy is being seen in another's eyes and in their face in a group of others who, when you walk into their presence, when you walk into the room, they light up. Understand that in the Old Testament, the word for God's presence is the word face. When we live in God's presence, we are living before his face and his eyes light up and his face shines on us. You see, I believe our brains are designed to run on joy, to know that we're valued and treasured through another's eyes, through another's face, through another's presence. That's what lit up John the Baptist, living in the joy of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. 
wild thing. You make my heart sing. You make everything. The preaching team voted last week, and for the next several weeks, every preacher has to have at least one movement in the sermon where they sing a song. There you go. I cannot wait to hear Nick do this. <laughs> Bring your neighbor. Did you get the second surprise? Jesus. You know, right, that John the Baptist did not invent baptism, even though he's called John the Baptist. That what he was doing here was a long-standing Jewish tradition that John the Baptist is modifying. You see, what this was was called Gentile baptism, proselyte baptism. When a Gentile would want to become part of God's people and essentially commit to being in the Jewish family, they would be baptized. Why? Because they were viewed as unclean. So they had to come and take a bath and have their sins washed away, turn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and become part of the Jewish family, the God's family. But you see, John is saying, look, it's not just for Gentiles. It's for anyone and everyone. Jesus is arriving. We all need to get in the river, have our sins washed away, and turn our hearts fully to God. And he's calling everyone, even his pastors, to do it. Now, the surprise, knowing that this is a sinner's bath, is that Jesus comes to be baptized and John balks, right? You saw it in the baptism. He balks. He says, no, no, no. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, John, come on. Come with me now. We have to do this. And here's the why of why Jesus was baptized. For two reasons. He was baptized so that he could display the mission of God and he was baptized so that he could receive the motivation from God to do the mission. Now, the way Jesus describes the mission is he says, John, let's come along, let's do this together in order to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? That means that every moment of Jesus' life, he made the conscious and unconscious decisions to follow his Father's will, to choose obedience in every particular for the long stretch of his life. He chose God's will every time. And the reason he did that was to do it to please his Father and to save us. Because what Jesus wants to do for you and I is to give us that life, to declare us righteous, to wash our sins away, and the Father views us as having lived the life Jesus lived, and we can be fit for his presence, his burning, pure presence, because we've been declared righteous, Jesus' life given to us. But I want us to just sit in that, stand in the water for a minute, and understand who Jesus is and how he did this. I came across this from a great uh, women commentator named Elise Fitzpatrick in her commentary on Romans. She writes, Here's one way to look at Jesus' earthly life of obedience to God the Father. Jesus lived approximately 33 and a half years, okay? Or 
1,057,157,021, boy, I butchered that. That's why I went to seminary. I couldn't do math. 1,057,157,021 seconds. In every second, the average human being's brain fires 100 billion neurons around 200 times per second, giving a capacity of 20 million billion firings per second. If we want to know how many conscious decisions Jesus made to obey his Father's will, multiply 20 million billion by the number of seconds he lived. And the equation would look like this. 20 million billion times 1 billion, 57 million, 157, 1,021 seconds. You know what that is? A huge number. A huge number. Jesus Christ never made one decision consciously or unconsciously, and all those innumerable split seconds that wasn't completely consistent with loving his father and his neighbor. And his obedience wasn't merely an outward appearance. It was on the inside for the right reasons as well. And during his lifetime of constant, unwavering obedience, from womb to tomb, he wove a robe of righteousness to cover millions and millions of us, and even me and you. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Jesus was baptized in order to display the mission, the Father's will, that he fulfill all righteousness in order to connect sinners to the Father. And Jesus went throughout the three years of his public ministry, this being the launch, seeking to connect sinners to his Father by living the life we sinners should have lived. But we also said there's two reasons he was baptized. The first was mission. The second was motivation. You see, the mission of connecting sinners to the Father was fueled by receiving the motivation to do the mission. And what was that motivation? Three things. Did you see it in the baptism, these things? First of all, the heavens open, the text says. Now, you need to know throughout the Old Testament history, that phrase is a loaded phrase, heavens open. And it would usually come out with the prophets when Israel was in one of their lowest points, like Isaiah saying during the Babylonian exile, when so much of Israel was carried a thousand miles away to live in Babylon, Isaiah was pleading, oh God, rend the heavens and come down. He's saying, where's your promise? Where's your power? Where's your love? I'm not seeing it. Rend the heavens, come down. And in this moment, all of the Old Testament promises are fulfilled because he has come down. 
The light is on him. He's here. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God are in Christ. Yes! You know, right, the Hebrew word for yes is amen. You can say amen anytime in this group. Jesus is amen. The second thing that happens, this is a visual display. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, dove power, and alights on Jesus. And the, the implication is there that now Jesus is being equipped every moment to give his life to the mission. The Spirit carries him. What's interesting, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and you see this really in all the Gospels, for instance, the next thing to happen in Jesus' life after the baptism, he's still wet, but it says, then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, 40 days. And you see, then the next thing, and then, and then, and then, and what's the then? The then is the Holy Spirit equipping Jesus for the mission and leading him to every person and situation. Then, 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 he lived a life carried and prompted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then, did you see what happened? That's the visual. Did you get the high def, the audible, the voice from heaven of the Father saying, this is my son. In him, I delight. And you see there the Father quoting the words of Psalm 2-7, where David writes, I, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. That was read at the coronation of every king in Judah. And now the Father is kind of grabbing the microphone and saying, okay, all of God's people, in fact, all of the world, Here's your king. And do you know who he is? Who is Jesus? My son. And in him is all my delight. So the baptism of Jesus, the occasion shows us that Jesus is on mission to connect sinners to the Father, and to do that, Jesus completely identifies with sinners and lives the life they should have lived. And that mission is fueled by this 3D to the world expression. The heavens open, the Spirit comes down, and the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son. Now, the occasion modifies behavior, right? Do you think that that meant something to Jesus? I'm convinced. You go, for instance, to Mark chapter 1, and we get a glimpse of the day, a day in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. He's teaching, and the crowds are coming. He's healing people, and more and more crowds are coming. He is a sensation. The paparazzi's all over him. The only way he can survive this is to do this in Mark chapter 1, very early in the morning. Again, this is in the middle of all the chaos, pressing human needs all over him. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and they found him, and they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. What was Jesus doing there? I submit to you what Jesus was doing there was remembering his baptism. 
being reminded that the Holy Spirit will lead the, le- the thens of his life for the coming day, being reminded that the Spirit will give him power even though physically he's exhausted, mentally weak. I mean, everything running at him, the Spirit will carry him. And hearing the voice of his Father again, you are my son, you delight me. You see, the engine of Jesus' ministry was the joy of his sonship. That's what fueled the mission. Which reminds us something to stick in your pocket and take out with you this week. Listen, the purpose of prayer is not for us to get things from God. The purpose of prayer is for us to get God. To be reminded as we pull away, just for a minute, that the Holy Spirit is leading the thens of our lives and equipping us for whatever's next, and that the Father's love is always singing over us. You are my child. You delight me. And you see, that's how the occasion of Jesus' baptism fuels our lives and modifies our behavior in two ways. First, we are reminded by Jesus' baptism that we are on mission that we are to make Jesus visible just as the Holy Spirit made Jesus visible and pointed the entire world to the intention of Jesus. So we walk around this world fueled by the Holy Spirit pointing to Jesus. That's the office of the Holy Spirit and that's what he wants to work in us, always having us point to Jesus. That's the mission. We carry Jesus' character in us. Paul calls it in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control. All of those are in us because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so we walk around this world with those character traits making Jesus visible. We're always on mission. And not only that, it's the influence that comes out as we work those relationships. At Waterstone, we like to call this spirit-filled life in the kingdom rhythms. And we have three rhythms, right? Transform. Transform means that we see Christ grow in us. And the primary way we practice that rhythm is by being in a small group. And I want to again invite you during this Jesus Messiah series, love this book, get into a small group where you can talk about the sermon during the week. You can have friends and food and meet together or do it by Zoom. But I want to remind you that the primary reason we, we like badger you to be in a small group is not for what you'll get. And you'll get some good gets. We want you to be in a small group for what you can give. You see, you will not grow to be what Christ wants you to be unless you're in a regular group community where you can give yourself to others. 12, 15 people who need your voice and you help with their accountability and you help by speaking words of encouragement and you help by praying for them. You show up for others. That's when you grow in the Christian journey. And so we transform by being in a small group. Second, we have this rhythm called neighboring. 
This week, or this month, September, Madison has this thing. He, she wants all of us. And, and Jen and I, oh, we're doing this, where at least once a week you walk your block, or if you're in an apartment, you walk your building, and you just pray for your neighbors. You pray for God's favor to come down on them and to bless them. And here's, let me give you the John the Baptist prayer. You ready? I dare you. Wild. Why don't you, as you pray for your neighbors, walk in the block, pray that the Spirit will give you a then where you have an encounter with your neighbor, a conversation, and Jesus can be brought into that conversation. Would you be willing to pray for that? this week, these next weeks, because as soon as you bring Jesus' name into a conversation, it's no longer yours to control. Neighboring, praying for our neighbors, pleading for conversations to talk about what Jesus means to you and what he's done for you. How about the third rhythm? This is also how we make Jesus visible on mission fueled by the Holy Spirit as we practice restoration. So I'm so excited. In October, Kylie has this great challenge for Waterstone. We're calling it Love Your Neighbor's Yard. And so what we want is for everyone at Waterstone to submit a name of someone in your circle who you know needs help with their yard work. You know, with COVID, we can't go inside and do anything, but we can go outside and talk to neighbors from the porch and work on their yard. And we're especially focused on the people who have God's attention. The Holy Quartet in the Old Testament, right? The widow, the orphan, the poor, and the immigrant. Can you think of anyone in your circles who could use some help with yard work or anything outside on their house? Please get that name to Kylie. Get that name to those, I think... Kylie's, it's not up there. Just check our website. It's on there. Um, We want to level the ground for those who are walking uphill. And so we're going to show Jesus to the community by loving our neighbor's yards. That's the mission. That's what Jesus' baptism, how it modifies our behavior. We're on mission filled with the Spirit but we're also motivated the same way Jesus was to do that mission. And in our baptism, what happens? The same thing that happens to Jesus. The Spirit moves into our lives, and the voice of the Father is continually speaking to us. What's true of Jesus is true of us. What's true, what fueled Jesus fuels us. What's that feel like? I was reminded this week from one of my favorite books, uh, Greg Boyle, Father Greg Boyle's book, uh, Tattoos of the Heart, where he talks about how he worked with uh, gang members in Los Angeles. Greg Boyle believes that we all have touchstones, what he calls touchstones, and that is two or three images of God, God the Father or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, that we go back to again and again for that joy. When we see through their eyes and their face, we get filled with joy. What are those images for you that fill you with joy to fuel the mission? He, Greg, Father Greg Boyle shares one of his. It comes from a friend of his named Bill Kane. And the setting here is that Bill Kane, during the, he's also a Catholic priest, during the height of his parish ministry, he walked away from it. All the prestige, all the work, all the, all the good things that were going for him, he walked away from it. Why? In order to care for his father, a widower, 
who was dying of cancer. He went and moved in with his dad. His dad had a cancer that was just wasting his body away, but to the very end, his mind was alert and lively. And so here's how Greg Boyle described Bill and his father. Bill would be tired from the day's care and would plead with his dad, look, here's the idea. I read to you, you fall asleep. Bill's father would impishly apologize, dutifully close his eyes, but this wouldn't last long. Soon enough, Bill's father would pop one eye open and smile at his son. Bill would catch him and whine, Dad, come on. The father would again oblige, close his eyes until he couldn't anymore and would open the other eye to catch a glimpse of his son. And this went on and on. And after his father's death, Bill said that this evening ritual was really a story of a father who could not take his eyes off of his kid. How much more so of God? What's true of Jesus is true for us. And this voice, every moment of our lives, breaks through the clouds and comes straight at us you are my beloved. You delight me. So what does Jesus' baptism mean for us? Well, at least two things. One, there are some of us in this room who need to be baptized. Baptism means two things. You are giving total allegiance and going public with it for the world to see. Total allegiance to Jesus as Messiah, King. And you are committing your life, every part, to him. And you want the world to know. That's the first reason. The second reason is for you to be acknowledged by God the Father that he's giving you his spirit and sending his love, pouring it into your heart through the Spirit, day after day, you are my beloved. My delight is you. So if you've not, as a Christian, uh, made a decision to follow Jesus, but you've never been baptized, October the 4th, two weeks from today, after the second service, we're going to go to a lake, and whoever wants to be baptized, we're going to dunk them and see the heavens open. And say those words on you. You are my child. You are my delight. You can stop at the info desk on the way out and tell us that you want to be baptized. And then the second thing, this is for anyone here, anyone watching online, follower of Christ. Remember your baptism. Can you go back for some of us many years, decades, but can you go back and see God the Father looking, his, see his eyes, see his face, the joy of your baptism, him speaking, you are my child, you delight me. Can you get some of that joy back because it's joy that makes us wild? Remember your baptism. In fact, as we end this preaching time, could we pray for just a minute? And uh, I want us to pray in the Quaker way. Of course, being a Pennsylvania kid that I am. The Quaker way.
they, they would use their body in prayer. So if you're comfortable, I'm going to ask you to use your body. They would begin by sitting and uh, putting their palms over their knees, palms down. So if you're comfortable, just extend your hands where you sit, your palms down over your knees. And this symbolizes us letting go of what we need to let go of in order to receive the joy. So what is it you need to let go of? Is it, is it a sin, just a sin that keeps catching you, tripping you up, that's just taking you down? It's secret. It's in secret, but it's growing and growing and getting more into your life. It could be, you know, pornography. It could be bitterness, gossip. It could be, could be any way of thinking that just brings you down and even cuts the heavens off. What is it you need to let go of that you need to bring out into the open, at least for now, the starting point between you and God? Would you let go of that sin? Would you tell him, God, Jesus, I want you to help me let go of this sin. And I want to remind you in prayer, Jesus is already in the river with you. You're not alone here. Or maybe... It's words that you need to let go of. Words that in your youth someone said to you and just damaged your soul. Words that a coworker said last week which devalued your work, made you feel small. Words that a spouse said that cut you. Words that a friend said that betrayed you. Are there words right now you need to give over to Jesus and say, these words will not define me. Let it go. Give it to him. And then, would you turn your palms upright? Because this is what now we want to receive from God. Letting go, coming up out of the water, now we receive the Father who wants us to know how deeply we're loved by him. He sent his son for us. He moved heaven and earth for us so that we could be connected to him. The Father wants you to receive this today. You are my child. You are my delight. And with Jesus standing right beside us in the river, he wants us to know that I've lived the life you should have lived. I've died the death you should have died. Come to me. Remember me. Let's stand before the cross and see. I've given my life for you so that you can call me brother, so that you can call me friend so that you can call me king I'm right beside you and then the spirit would you receive the spirit today the spirit wants you to know you are on a great adventure the kingdom of God is on the move and it gives your life purpose and meaning and the spirit wants you to know you are on this adventure. Receive those things from God today and walk out of here with joy. Joy is the conviction that there's nothing better than you. Joy is the conviction that Jesus is the one who turns mourning to dancing, who gives beauty for ashes, who turns shame into glory. You're the only one who can, Jesus. And joy is the conviction that you turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can, 
Jesus. And so we want to give our hearts to you in song and sing our joy to you. So we're going to sing now. It's a new song, but you join in whenever you can, whenever you want, and let's sing our joy to God today.